this morning as we begin our new year, I'd like to ask you to turn with your Bibles and look with me to uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, this is not going to be the book that we're going to work through this year. Uh, I'm going to lean towards another book, but I thought it would be appropriate for us to begin with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul is writing this book to the church in Thessalonica, a uh, a, the, really the capital of Macedonia. And he's writing to this uh, young church, a very young church, a church that he had uh, started just not too long ago, uh, from, at least from the writing of this letter, in that uh, he wanted to encourage them in their faith, especially in the midst of uh, much opposition and persecution uh, that uh, they had faced. But uh, Thessalonians are known to be, if you kind of think about the different characters of a church in the New Testament, the Thessalonian church was considered a model church, a model church. And so much of what we learn about the Thessalonians is a model for us. Um, so uh, we'll be looking at the Thessalonian church this morning. I'd like to read for us the scripture, and then we'll pray. Read from verses 1 through 10. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that, We have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can open it up again this this morning and on this new year. Uh, Lord, we pray that this year as we grow together as a church, as we strive to fulfill your uh, calling and your purpose for us, that we would do so in dependence upon your power, your strength, and guided by your word and the truths within. Help us to fulfill our purpose together as a church, that you would be glorified. We pray now that your spirit would fill us and teach us from your word. Speak to each one exactly what that which they need to hear from you this morning. And the Lord, I ask that you continue uh, to build this church, to build your church, the church of Jesus Christ, until you come, until he comes back. So Lord, we pray that you would be glorified now and through the hearing and speaking of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. (coughs) 
as each new year rolls around, I find it helpful for us as a church just to rethink and why we exist as a church, to review, if you will, uh, the purpose of the church, and that's kind of uh, the mission of the church, and that's what kind of is our title for the, our uh, sermon this morning. What is our task? Not so much individually, but what is our task together as a whole, as a redeemed community purchased by the blood of Christ? What should this, the life in the church body, what should it look like? What do we do? What should we be doing when we gather together? These kinds of questions are the aim of our New Year's uh, series. I've called it, I think it's in your bulletin, the Mission Vision Values of S.A. Bible, really creative uh, sermon title, sermon series, I mean, I think. But uh, no, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, and then I wanted to examine for us, what is the mission of the church? What is, as, uh, as considering who we are as a church then, uh, where we are located, uh, what do the leaders of this church believe is the vision for this church? What would we like to see this church as we fulfill our mission? And then uh, on our third Sunday, we're going to look at the, the values of this church. The values. What are, what, are, what's, what are those principles that are important for us as we build Christ's church? Now, these, are, these should not be new themes. If you've been in the church of Jesus, if you've been in this church any, in any amount of time, uh, we would have covered it in different times. Usually when I get to this, uh, this particular first subject, the mission of SF Bible, I, I often uh, would like to point to us to that verse that is perhaps the most, uh, if, we were to, you know, if we were to ask a question, where, what is the purpose of the church? What verse, one verse should we look at? Uh, what verse do you think I would turn to? What's it called? Praise God. Somebody's been listening. All right. Yeah, amen. All right. Whew. Unless all of you are guests and visitors and you don't know. But the Great Commission, amen. Thank you. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, right? That's, uh, that's probably perhaps if you've been in any church for any amount of time, someone eventually is going to talk about Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's the Great Commission. It's Jesus' commission to his disciples and consequently from his disciples to his disciples, disciples those disciples, disciples, and those disciples, 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 all the way down to disciples today like you and me. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Great Commission gives the church her marching orders. Every local church's purpose statement, and every local church tends to have one, a mission statement, if you will, is going to be some variation of Christ's great commission to his disciples. And his commission at its very heart is the command, the instruction to make disciples. He wants disciples to make disciples. We're to make, or, or make people who are learners, followers of Christ. And that's what our mission is as Ephesus Bible. Uh, this is our mission statement. The mission of Ephesus Bible is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And, uh, you know, I'm not big on memorizing your mission statement or vision statement or those kinds of things. Uh, like at your own company, I bet if I asked you, what's your company's mission statement, you'd be able to, you know, give it out, right, really, right? Well, if you want to be a manager in the company, you better memorize that thing, okay? You got to know your mission statement. You got to know it. You got to be able to state it just like that. And that's, for the, and that's not a bad thing. If you're, if, as a church, we know our mission statement. 
The mission of Essence Bible is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple, and it's biblical, okay? It's biblical. Now, if you're new to Essence Bible, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we, I know we have at least uh, one visitor and a friend come and join us, and there, I know there's, there's others here today. Glad to have you with us. Hopefully, you'll give us three weeks to check us out, to hear in what is the mission of this church, the vision of this church, and the values of this church. And that uh, if the Lord is leading you, that you would come alongside and join us in this endeavor. For the rest of us here, uh, this uh, series is going to be a refresher for us, a reset, if you will. I love New Year's because it's always a good opportunity to reset. Resets our focus on what God wants us to do as we begin another year together. Well, I've already said that that, a little bit about the Thessalonian church in the very beginning. That's a model church. Paul had started it during uh, his second missionary journey. It's recorded for us in Acts 17. If you want to read there, Acts 17, I think the first 10 verses or so of Acts 17. But Paul established the church. He first began in the synagogue as his, his habit. But then he also expanded his ministry outreach to the Gentiles in the city. And it's, a very, it's a Gentile city in a Gentile region. So uh, understandably and naturally, many of the church believers were Gentiles. Well, Shortly after, Paul began to face opposition, and he was essentially just chased out of the city. He had to leave Thessalonica and moved on from Thessalonica. But he had heard back later on about the Thessalonian church and how well they were doing in, in the face of persecution and opposition. And so he writes this letter to encourage them, to encourage them to continue on in their faith, to encourage them to continue to model a church of a the church of Jesus Christ, to be followers and disciples of Christ. As, we, uh, as he often does as he, when he writes his letters, he always begins, Paul always begins with a prayer. And that's what we find here in verses 2 through 10, a prayer for the Thessalonians. We could look at it as a prayer, how we could pray. Uh, we could apply it as how we could pray for us a Bible, how we could pray for other churches. We could apply it that way. But this morning, I want to take a little different kind of applicational outline, if you will, for us. As we look at these principles of this model church, that the reasons why Paul gives thanks uh, for the Thessalonians. But we might also look at it this way, as reasons for why the church exists. Because Thessalonians are a model church. They, they, they manifest uh, what a church of Jesus Christ should look like. And as we look at this, uh, this, uh, these nine verses, we'll look at six reasons for why the church exists. Okay, so that's kind of where we're going to go. And um, hopefully you'll see that it is consistent and it kind of moves us and points us and uh, nudges us towards uh, the great purpose of this church, you know, the great purpose of every church, to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. All right? Six reasons. So that's six points. That's pretty fast. We've got you know, 30 minutes left. So that's five minutes per point. Uh, so let's, uh, we'll fly through this. Okay? Point number one, we observe the first reason in verse two. The church exists to bring glory to God, right? The church exists to bring glory to God. And that's uh, pretty straightforward. We give thanks to God, uh, Paul writes, always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. When Paul thinks of the Thessalonian church in his prayers, he gives thanks. His thanksgiving and praise is directed, now, not to the Thessalonians. You know, say, you know when we sometimes we're thankful for someone, we, we go up to them and say, you know, I'm so, I'm so thankful for you. And I'm, I was really, as I was watching our worship team, leaning in worship, I was like, I want to go to them and say, I'm thankful for you. But I want to go beyond that. I want to thank God for you. 
I want to thank God for you. That's, that's where thankfulness ultimately leads to. And that's what uh, thanksgiving for others, and, and just as Paul gives thanks for the Thessalonians, it results in praise directed toward God. He praises God because he knows that it's not about the Thessalonians, but he knows that it's the God of the Thessalonians. It's the God behind the Thessalonians, the God who is behind and at work in the Thessalonians' lives. His Thessalonians, his thanksgiving was not only directed to God, but it was a, it was a constant thanksgiving. He says, always for all of you. The Thessalonians were a constant source of thanksgiving to God. And what's more, his thanksgiving was focused not on any one individual, but on the whole congregation. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. Not just the ones I like, not just the ones I've heard about, but I thank God for all of you. The whole church, every member, all of them were a reason for thanksgiving and glory to God. And that is an awesome thought. You know, you kind of get to know churches after a while. You get to know the members of a church. Uh, you, you know, if we're human beings, we're in the flesh. Sometimes other people in the church rub us the wrong way. He's like, oh, man, oh, man, I don't know if I can. Sometimes you get to a place where I'm, I find it difficult to give thanks to God for you. <laughs> As I'm sure it goes the other way sometimes. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul writing to SF Bible today? writing a letter, if we could receive a letter from him, and then saying that whenever he thinks of us in his prayers, he gives thanks to God always for all of us. Wow, that would be awesome. What we see here is that the Thessalonian church is a church as a whole. Every single member of the body brought glory to God. They brought glory to God. They, they're, what they, who they were and what they did, somehow when Paul thinks of them in his prayers, he gives glory to God. He gives thanks to God always. Now, this church, Thessalonian church wasn't the only one. And I think there's a lesson here that Paul sees in the Thessalonian church, not only because they're just the model church, but even churches that are uh, not so modeled. The Roman church, Romans 1.8, uh, Paul gives thanks for it. The Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 1.4, Paul gives thanks for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1.15, the Philippian church, Philippians 1.3, the Colossian church, Colossians 1.3, all were churches that gave reason for Paul to give thanks to God. That is, they existed to bring glory to God. As a church of Jesus Christ, I hope that we long to see not only our individual lives, but we long to see this church be a church that gives others reason to give thanks to God for us when they think of us in their prayers. That we would, that our thanksgiving for us would abound to the glory of God. Whatever we are about as a church, our aim, our existence is to bring glory to him. The one who is behind everything that we are, that we will become, and everything that we've done, and everything that we will do. It's all of God. And so we want to be a church. And that we, as we fulfill the great commission, as we fulfill the purpose that, that God's called us, created us, and saved us for, that it would bring glory to him. So what is it about the Thessalonians that give rise to Paul's thanksgiving? What is it specifically that he's giving thanks to God for about them? We get an introduction of this idea in verse 3. In it, we observe our second reason, that the church exists to work for Christ. The church exists to work for Christ. You know, before we even think about 
the work that we do from um, midweek, Monday to Friday. There's a greater work that we have as a church. And we see in verse 3 the, the thought that Paul has about these Thessalonians. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Verse 3 summarizes what Paul thinks about when he makes mention of the Thessalonians. Although uh, we find here three things mentioned, work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, they are referring primarily to one thing, the work that the Thessalonians were doing for Christ. Now, the work of faith is those deeds or those actions that manifest from their faith in Christ. The labor of love is that labor, that toilsome work that they were doing that was motivated by their love for Christ. The steadfastness of hope is that endurance, that perseverance in that work and labor, even in the face of suffering, which was grounded, that steadfastness was grounded upon their hope in their Lord Jesus Christ, particularly the hope of his return. See, the Thessalonian church was all, were all involved in carrying out their work for Christ, their work, the labor, and their steadfastness in that work and labor. And for that reason, Paul gives thanks to God because he's thinking of how they are working and serving in the Lord Jesus. Although we do not find the term making disciples mentioned here in, in these verses, the work of Christ is the work of the Great Commission. The work that we do of Christ, the, the, the work that Christ calls us to do is that which we find recorded for us, which we already read earlier in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all the nations, to make disciples, learners, followers of Christ. The Thessalonian church is an example to churches everywhere. And we can't help but ask ourselves, does our faith in Christ manifest in work for him? Does our love for Christ motivate us to labor for him? Does our hope in Christ cause us to persevere in that work and labor for Christ? Are we as a church about going about doing the work of Christ? And I believe as a whole we are. But we can do better. We all can. Are we making disciples of Jesus Christ both its facets of, of evangelism as well as edification. You know, a lot of times you equate making disciples with just evangelism. And that's partially true. You need evangelism to become a disciple. But a disciple is also one who continually learns to keep and learns Christ's commands and to, so that they may, he, may, he or she may keep them and observe them. And that involves the edification that's necessary too. Both are needed. Evangelism, edification. You can't have making disciples without both evangelism and edification. We need to be involved in both. That's our work. And if we are not, if you're, if you're sitting there and you think, well, you know, I'm not really involved in making disciples of Jesus Christ, then this is a perfect time of year to just begin and reflect once more on your faith in Christ, whom you have placed your trust for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life and renewed peace with God. It's a great time for you to reflect upon your love for Christ. Thinking about and we, our love Christ is connected with our, God's love for us. We love him only because he first loved us. 
and we can reflect about our hope in Christ. What is our hope in this world? Is our hope in the accomplishments that we hope to gain, the possessions, our name, our, our identity? No, our hope is in Christ. Our hope in everything else can be taken away from us in this world, but not Christ. Not Christ. So, if our faith and love and hope is in Christ, then that should be a great motivation for us to work for Christ, to do the work of Christ so that he may be glorified. If we belong to him, we will desire to work for Christ. How can we be so confident of this? Because in verses 4 to 5, Paul expresses his confidence that God is at work in the church. God is the one who causes the church to do the work of Christ. And this we observe the third reason for why the church exists. The church exists to display God's character, to display God's character. And we see in verse 4 and 5. First of all, verse 4, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. That Paul's thoughts about, Paul gives thanks to God for the Thessalonians as he thinks about them in his prayers because he's aware in his mind that they're about the work of Christ. And how does he, and not only is it because later on we find he hears about it, but he knows that this is happening and he gives thanks, why he gives thanks to God? Because he knows that it's God who's being revealed in them. God's character is at, God is at work in their lives. He knows this. Uh, he knows that God is at work in the church and it's evidenced. How do we know that God's at work? It's evidenced by the, his attributes that are made manifest in their salvation. And first of all, we see God's sovereign love. God's sovereign love here in verse 4. That beloved by God, God loves them. He says, but knowing his choice of you, or that he chose you. Thessalonians are loved by God not because they were good people. Or because they chose to believe in God. That's why God loved them in return. No. In fact, they had been idol worshipers themselves. They were in darkness. They were blind in their sin. Rather, God loved them because he chose them from eternity past for salvation. He chose them. This is the doctrine of election that we find here. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, we see the, the similar doctrine taught. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. In addition to God's sovereign love here that we see that in salvation, that when we, when we know someone who is saved, we see the evidence of God's sovereign love. In addition to that, the church also exists when the very fact of the church existence, it displays God's sovereign power as well. Verse 5 says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul recalls that when he had first preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, it was accompanied by God's power to save them. He said, it was, I came to you with the gospel not just in word. It wasn't just words, but it was power. It was the Holy Spirit. It was a work of full conviction. The Holy Spirit had come upon them and brought conviction to the Thessalonians. 
so that they repent in it and believe. And that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit, right? To get, he, get, God, Jesus gave him to us that he would convict us of sin and our need for righteousness. This uh, power that is at work in the Thessalonians, bringing them to salvation, is sometimes called the doctrine of God's effectual calling. That God called them to so And God, God worked in their hearts to draw them to himself. It's irresistible sometimes we call it. No one comes to repent and believe apart from God's power. For Paul, the, the power that brought the Thessalonians to faith was the very same power that was at work in his life. So that you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. That power that was saved the Thessalonians is the same power that saved Paul and was sanctifying Paul and was saving Paul. And this is a power that we need to be aware of, especially as a disciple-making church. It's not our power. It's not our own efforts. It's not our own strength. But it's the power of God at work that brings about salvation. The gospel can be proclaimed to every soul on earth. Every single citizen of San Francisco can be, have the gospel shared to, with them. But if God's power is not at work, then we will all be damned to hell. No one can be saved apart from God's power. It's why we pray. It's why we pray. The elders have been reading the book of Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. What a wonderful refresher. I love that book. It just, it just, and and J.I. Packer, who writes the, uh, just that first chapter, just, so obviously just said, you know, uh, even though wherever you stand on the, uh, uh, the God's sovereignty, man's free choice kind of, you know, uh, spectrum, you know, you all believe in God's sovereignty. You know why? Because when you think about your salvation, you don't give thanks to yourself. You give thanks to God, right? That's why you believe that God is sovereign. Because you, you acknowledge ultimately that God, God was behind your salvation. God saved you. I love that kind of just, it was kind of just a funny little thing when he wrote it. Anyways, read that book if you haven't. Uh, when we fulfill the Great Commission, souls are saved and regenerated. What we see displayed is God's love and power. It declares God's character, God's attributes. That's why we exist as a church. The fourth reason uh, we exist as a church is found in verse 6. And that is the church exists to follow Christ. The church exists to follow Christ. We read in verse 6, you also became imitators of us. So uh, he kind of breaks from his prayer. Some believe this is still part of his prayer, but he's kind of now addressing the, uh, the Thessalonians. So he's telling them, this is what I, I think about you. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. See, the Thessalonian church became imitators of Paul and uh, his missionary team. And when he says us, he means Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy, his missionary team, the, the kind of the team that helped start the, the work in Thessalonica. But they didn't just become imitators of Paul and his team, but they also became imitators of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a great reminder. We, we get that because as Christians, we are ultimately followers of Christ. And what does that mean when we say we're followers of Christ? We want to follow after Christ's teaching, but we want to be more like Christ. We want to be like Christ. We know that God saved us and we're, and we, and from our sin, and though we still dwell in the flesh, we are being sanctified. We're being made more holy. And that the, what is the ultimate picture of holiness, the image of holiness, and that is Christ. In fact, the Great Commission 
involves teaching others to what? To, to keep, observe all that Christ commanded, right? For the fledgling church, Paul and his missionary team had set the example for them to follow. They may not have known Christ personally. They never seen him. They'd only heard about him from afar. But when Paul and his missionary team spent those, that time in, among them, they got a picture of what Christ looked like, of how Christians, how Christ wanted us to live. To the Corinthian church, Paul had written in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. You know, honestly, it's a scary thing when you disciple someone, when you make disciples, you know, spend time with them. Because eventually we know that not only will they learn about how to follow Christ from us, but because we're all fallen in the flesh, they're also going to pick up our bad sinful habits too, right? They're also going to pick up that in due time. And so let's, and when, you're, when we're disciple makers, hopefully we're all humble because eventually, um, you know, we're going to be a bad, we're going to be somewhat of a bad influence, but hopefully we're more of a good influence as we point people to Christ. Paul was following Christ, and he told the Corinthian church, he told, and the Thessalonian church as well did the same, that they imitated Paul just as he imitated Christ. The Thessalonians, what's more, followed Christ despite their difficult circumstances. And that was because of Paul as well. Paul, too, according to Acts 17, the church faced an angry mob that attacked the house of Jason. They dragged them in the streets. They accused them of being rebellious, of 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 uh, raising rebellion, and uh, and basically they, they f- required of him a bond, a bail, kind of if you will, so that uh, eventually forcing Paul and his uh, his uh, associates to leave the town. There was threats, of, the threat of violence and uh, harm uh, were very real with the angry mob. But in the face of that tribulation. Paul continued to go from city to city proclaiming the gospel. That was an example for the Thessalonians as well. For they continued to follow, uh, <coughs> follow Christ as well in the face of much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. We see at the end of verse 6, how, or the latter part of verse 6, how the Thessalonian church had received the word of Christ. They had received it. In 6, 7, and 8, honestly, I, I was debating between preaching just 6, 7, and 8 verses 2 through 10, because 6, 7, 8 is really what I wanted to focus on. And 6, you'll see the pattern here is that they receive the word, then they will live the word, and then they proclaim the word. That's kind of what disciple making, you could could summarize it as that, receiving the word, living the word, proclaiming the word. That's what we want to do as disciple makers. But anyways, they received the word of Christ from Paul, and they followed it by imitating Paul and the Lord. And I kind of, I think children sometimes, I thank God for children. I've got a card this Christmas that was really funny and hilarious. But uh, one person wrote on my Christmas card, you know, ever since you've had children, you become a better preacher. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> I think. <laughs> but it was uh, uh, thoughtfully well written. I said, hmm, yeah, because absolutely. Uh, children give so much illustrations, don't they? But no, not only do they give illustrations, but they just show me more. This, this is perhaps what God the Father thinks about. This is perhaps what, uh, and you know, we got to look to the scriptures to confirm these things, but a lot of times being a parent just teaches so much. This, this is what it means to be a, a parent and shepherd of, of Christ's flock, and uh, this is what patience, the patience that necessary. Well, anyways, uh, yeah, I think about it. How do children, how do my child, uh, my children actually learn about loving God? 
How will they learn about loving God? You know, that's a great commandment. Love the Lord your God. So I can just tell you know, the kids, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I could tell them that, but that doesn't tell them really how to love God. They're not going to learn to love God but means simply just telling them, love God, love God, love God. How do you, how do, how do you guys do it? Because I'm, I'm curious. I don't know. Yeah, I should ask you guys. Well, they will not learn to love God until I think I believe I model it for them. By the life that I live and my wife and Cindy and I, we live, we love God. We love God by, first of all, at least with regards to our children, by loving them, by giving to them, by providing for them, by caring for them. And all the ways that God loves us, by teaching them, instructing them, by warning them, by holding them, by comforting them. And all the ways that we have received, may receive love from God and how he gives to us sacrificially of, his, of himself, that we would give sacrificially of ourselves for our child, but also that we would then give sacrificially of ourselves for the church, for Christ's glory, in the work of Christ. So that in all the ways that we show love for the body, for the others, for, for the world, for enemies, for our children, they will then see, oh, that's what it means to love. And that's how I should love God. If I got that wrong, parents, you let me know before it's too late. But that is what I'm thinking. Well, if you are a professing Christian, let me ask you, are you following Christ? Because that's why we exist. Are we, we're following, we exist to follow after Christ, to follow after his example, to follow after his teachings. Are we obeying his commands? If you are a young believer, uh, some of you are, who, don't know, who doesn't know God's word very well, maybe you don't know what the Bible teaches yet very clearly, then the next best thing is to find an older, mature believer and follow them as they follow Christ. That's what the Thessalonians did with Paul, and that's what we can do. In fact, we could all use, in fact, I, I'm a pastor, but I still am following others. The other elders in this church are constantly just showing me how to follow Christ. By I'm looking at them and how they, as Christian parents or raise, Christian fathers, raise their, raise their children, are raising their children, have raised their children, and I want to follow them in that. And how they love the church, and I want to follow them in that. This leads us uh, to our fifth reason the church exists, and that is the church exists to teach others. Not only do we exist to follow after Christ, but then consequently we exist as a disciple-making church to then teach others to how to follow Christ. Paul explains in these verses the result of the Thessalonians' following of Paul and of the Lord. They ended up teaching others to follow Christ as well. First of all, we see in verse 7 how they taught it by their example. Verse 7, so that, here's the result, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia, and Achaia was just south of Macedonia. So it's two nations real next to, right, kind of next to each other. It's kind of just like, for us, it may be like the United States and, and Mexico, which is two nations right next to each other. But the Thessalonian church became an example to all the believers in both nations. The Greek word, for example, carries the idea of a type, a pattern, a model. And that's why we get the Thessalonians as being a model church, 
a typological church, a, a pattern of a church to follow. Their lives became a pattern. Our, is our lives, is a church, is this a Bible church that, that is a, sets the example for others to follow? Now, in addition, in addition to teaching by their example, uh, the Thessalonians also taught others by the very words that they spoke. You can't, ultimately, you can't teach about Christ without opening your mouth and teaching. Some people just say, well, I, I teach by my example, and that's, that's good. But you can't teach them the specifics of following after Christ apart from opening our mouths. And that's what we find here in verse 8. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. Boy, I'd, I'd love to get that place where I'm like Paul. You know, I've discipled the church. I don't need to say anything. I can just sit down. I don't have to preach anymore for the rest of my life because the church is doing such an excellent example of just going out there and making disciples and telling us about the word of the Lord. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. But that's wherever the, we find here that wherever the Thessalonian believers went, they sounded forth the word of the Lord. That word sounded forth. This is just a really interesting word. It almost has the idea of reverberation. You know, we get some reverb. Uh, this would be a good time to try out the reverb to get the echo. You know, sounds more like, like you know, uh, sounds, I don't know, better when I hear that reverb. I like that reverb. But the Thessalonians were an echo, if you will, an echo, a reverb of Paul, Paul's words. They heard it from Paul. And so where the Thessalonians were, where they reverberated what Paul said. They echoed what Paul said. Ooh. And it was in turn then, as Paul was, in turn, Paul was an echo and reverberation of what he had heard from the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, when you, you and I, when we teach others, we are an echo of, whom, of the person who taught us and then the person who taught them and the person who taught them, going all the way back to where it's a reverberation, echo of whom? Of the Lord, right? What a wonderful task we have. When we teach others, it's not just to teach what I know. What you and I know, what the, we're teaching what the Lord knows, what the Lord says to us. And that's a, that's a great calling. So when we teach others, we, we are to teach others through our example, the life that we live, and through our words, through our words. When Christ instructed disciples to teach others, to observe all that he commanded, uh, that teaching included both unbelievers and believers. So disciple-making involves both. It could be formal, like a Bible study or a Sunday school class, right? So some of us do that, but it can also be informal. Some of us don't have a formal ministry. We say, well, I'm not a member yet. I haven't been attending long enough, so they won't let me teach a Sunday school class. Well, you can still teach others informally by speaking to your neighbor. You can talk to them about the things of Christ. You know, this week, past week, I was just, I was um, sitting in a, uh, I was being driven back to a, 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 someplace by the Enterprise rental car guy, and he just found out, I told him I was a pastor. And immediately, bam, he said, oh, pastor, I have a question for you. It's just like, yeah, I'm not even looking for these exam- opportunities, but God brings these opportunities to, your, to our lives. And an opportunity just to talk to him, encourage him with the truth, pray for him, and that was it. I don't think I ever see him again. I might uh, to church, Lord willing, but uh, yeah, who knows? We have all sorts of opportunities God gives us as Christians. You know, just, you know, and you say, well, it's because you're a pastor. Well, see what happens when you just tell someone, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. What do you do this weekend? Oh, I went to church. Oh, man, oh, you might face some opposition. It's true. But you also might open an opportunity opportunity, to teach others of what God may be teaching you. you don't have to be, it's not have to be formal. It doesn't have to be long spiel. Sometimes you just got the five minutes, the five-minute drive. You just got to say something. 
say something of Christ and what Christ taught you, what God's teaching you. Well, at the heart of what we teach is why we exist. And that's the, fifth, the sixth and final reason why we exist, and that the church exists to declare the gospel. We exist to declare the gospel. The report of the Thessalonians' faith in the Lord spread, and wherever it spread, it was a testimony of the gospel's impact on their lives. We see this in verse 9. Paul, hearing about the reports of the Thessalonians, says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. The Thessalonians had received the word from Paul and his companions, and they had, received, they had responded with repentance as they turned to God from idols. They responded with submission as they sought to serve then the living God. No longer did they want to serve themselves or serve idols. They wanted to serve the living and true God. They and in their salvation, they discovered hope as they began to realize that the Christ who saved them is the Christ who's going to return, that this one who saved them is God's son. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And what did he do to save us? The very heart of the gospel message is that he, was, he raised from the dead, Christ's death and resurrection. Why did he have to die? It's because he came to rescue us from the wrath to come. He came to die in place of us to save us from the wrath that we deserved. But instead, he took it upon the cross. And this was the power of the gospel in the life of the Thessalonian church. It was a testimony that Paul then heard about, not directly from the Thessalonians, but from people that the Thessalonians had impacted. They themselves told Paul about what the gospel was doing in the Thessalonian church, and they were declaring the gospel. Wherever the word of the Thessalonian church went forth, the gospel was declared. It was a testimony, even, my, even from people that probably didn't necessarily believe, but they had heard from Thessalonians about how they were transformed by the power and the gospel of God. And you kind of wonder, you kind of hope. And it's kind of hard as a pastor. I wish I could um, get like an anonymous kind of a survey, put it out in our world, you know, just find out. Um, what do you think of S the Bible? You know, what are people saying about S the Bible? And so you're all part of S the Bible, so you don't know. Yeah, no one's going to say anything bad about your church directly to you unless they really, really, really know you and trust you. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, I heard about that church. What are people saying about it as a Bible? You know, knowing who I am alone, they probably got some bad things to say about the pastor. You know, oh, that guy's a sinner. You know, if, uh, he's uh, not real patient sometimes, uh, things like that. But I hope as a whole that when they think about the S of Bible, when people talk about S of Bible, and if it's, not, if it's not there right now, that eventually we will be a church that will be known for the gospel. That, you know, that church, that's just a Bible church, you know, they, just, they mean that, you know, that building over there. That, and, but they're what, what they're really about, they're about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're about how Jesus Christ saved them from the sin. And I don't care if they believe it or not. I hope they believe it. But if, even better when... Even, even great, better is that unbelievers come to recognize that. That we exist as a church. We're about declaring the gospel of Christ. You really, we have no other message. You know, the, I'm so glad the elections are over. Man. Because every time, four years, man, the church, we just get, we all, I mean, I, give, I can live in the world too. So I, I feel the same thing. I feel the elections. I feel the, you know, wanting this or wanting that, you know, by my votes and things like that. But the church is not about who deserves to be president. It's not about the laws of this land. 
We're, we're not about declaring who is causing global warning, warming. We're not about declaring which foods are our favorites and which drinks are the best. We're about declaring Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're declaring that he is Lord and that we are his servants. And we are declaring his message and the message that there is salvation, there is, uh, f- there is forgiveness of sins for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and turns from their sin. That's, our, that's what we exist for. And why we exist that, and hopefully we are first and foremost saying we, that that's what we've done. We've turned away from sin. Yeah, I'm still, I still sin, but God is doing a work in me. He's doing, and he's still doing a work in me. He's doing a work in us. And we have a hope, but we have a hope. We have a hope that one day Christ is going to return. But when he returns, he's going to not only return to take us, but he's also going to return to bring his wrath and judgment. And that we would warn people to, that if you want to be delivered from that judgment, that's through believing in Christ. Hopefully as a church, this is what we are about. This is what we'd be known for. This is why we exist, to declare the gospel. Well, six points. The church exists to bring glory to God, to work for Christ, to display God's character, to follow Christ, to teach others, to declare the gospel. But really, if you could all just put it into one, it's really just simply saying that the church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's our purpose, brothers and sisters. Let's move towards that direction as in 2017 and the years ahead. Let's continue to strive for it in every little way that we do that. And may God be glorified in this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the model church of the Thessalonians. We thank you for their example, but we want to thank you because you are behind what, what they became and what they did. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that what we, what we will become, what we do, will do, is also because of your power at work in us. Oh, Lord, cause us to be a church that is filled with your spirit, that is caught up with the mission of Christ, that we would seek to uh, fulfill in every aspect of the church, in every ministry, from nursery all the way up, that we would be seeking to make disciples of Christ, to teach others about how he died for them and rose from the grave, and how they could believe upon Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Father, help us to teach others the, the, not only the way to Christ, but the way of Christ, and how that, and how he would like us to live so that for his glory. Father, we pray that as a church we would grow in this endeavor in 2017 and the years to come. Continue to shape and mold this church by your word and by your, through your spirit. We ask that you would be glorified. We pray that you would be glorified. And Father, for all that, that SF Bible has been accomplished in, this, in the past year, we give you thanks. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.